Chapter Three of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. Marcia stood quivering, trembling. She comprehended all in an instant. David Spafford had come a day earlier than he had been expected to surprise Kate, and Kate was off having a good time with someone else. He had mistaken her for Kate. Her long dress and her put-up hair had deceived him in the moonlight. She tried to summon some womanly courage, and in her earnestness to make things right, she forgot her natural timidity. "'It is not Kate,' she said gently. "'It is only Marcia. Kate did not know you were coming tonight. She did not expect you till tomorrow. She had to go out, that is, she has gone with—' The truthful, youthful, troubled sister paused. To her mind, it was a calamity that Kate was not present to meet her lover. She should at least have been in the house ready for a surprise like this. Would David not feel the omission keenly? She must keep it from him, if she could, about Captain Leavenworth. There was no reason why he should feel badly about it, of course, and yet it might annoy him. But he stepped back laughing at his mistake. Why, Marcia, is it you, child? how you have grown. I never should have known you, said the young man pleasantly. He had always a grave tenderness for this little sister of his love. Of course your sister did not know I was coming, he went on, and doubtless she has many things to attend to. I did not expect her to be out here watching for me, though for a moment I did think she was at the gate. You say she has gone out? then we will go up to the house, and I will be there to surprise her when she comes. Marcia turned with relief. He had not asked where Kate had gone, nor with whom. The squire and Madame Schuyler greeted the arrival with elaborate welcome. The squire, like Marcia, seemed much annoyed that Kate had gone out. He kept fuming back and forth from the window to the door, asking, what did she go out for to-night? She ought to have stayed at home. But Madame Schuyler wore ample satisfaction upon her smooth brow. The bridegroom had arrived. There could be no further hitch in the ceremonies. He had arrived a day before the time, it is true, but he had not found her unprepared. So far as she was concerned, with a few extra touches, the wedding might proceed at once. She was always ready for everything in time. No one could find a screw loose in the machinery of her household. She bustled about, giving orders and laying a bountiful supper before the young man, while the squire sat and talked with him, and Marcia hovered watchfully, waiting upon the table, noticing with admiring eyes the beautiful wave of his abundant hair tossed back from his forehead. She took a kind of pride of possession in his handsome face, the far-removed possession of a sister-in-law. There was his sunny smile that seemed as though it could bring joy out of the gloom of a bleak December day, and there were the two dimples. Not real dimples, of course, men never had dimples, but hints, suggestions of dimples, that caught themselves when he smiled, here and there like hidden mischief well kept under control, but still merrily ready to come to the surface. His hands were white and firm, the fingers long and shapely, the hands of a brain worker, the vision of Hanford Weston's hands, red and bony, came up to her in contrast. She had not known that she looked at them that day when he had stood awkwardly asking if he might walk with her. 
poor Hanford. He would ill compare with this cultured scholarly man, who was his senior by ten years, though it is possible that with the ten years added, he would have been quite worthy of the admiration of any of the village girls. The fruitcake and raspberry preserves and doughnuts, and all the various viands that Madame Schuyler had ordered set out for the delectation of her guest, had been partaken of, and David and the squire sat talking of the news of the day, touching on politics, with a bit of laughter from the squire at a man who thought he had invented a machine to draw carriages by steam in place of horses. "'There's a good deal in it, I believe,' said the younger man. "'His theory is all right if he can get someone to help him carry it out.' "'Well, maybe, maybe,' said the squire, shaking his head dubiously. "'But it seems to me a very fanciful scheme. Horses are good enough for me.' I shouldn't like to trust myself to an unknown quantity like steam, but time will tell. Yes, and the world is progressing. Something of the sort is sure to come. It has come in England. It would make a vast change in our country, binding city to city and practically eradicating space. Visionary schemes, David, visionary schemes, that's what I call them. You and I'll never see them in our day. I'm sure of that. Remember, this is a new country, and must go slow. The squire was half laughing, half in earnest. Amid the talk, Marcia had quietly slipped out. It had occurred to her that perhaps the captain might return with her sister. She must watch for Kate and warn her. Like a shadow in the moonlight, she stepped softly down the gravel path once more and waited at the gate. Did not that sacred kiss placed upon her lips all by mistake bind her to this solemn duty? Had it not been given to her to see, as in a revelation by that kiss, the love of one man for one woman, deep and tender and true? In the fragrant darkness her soul stood still and wondered over love the marvellous. With an insight such as few have, who have not tasted years of wedded joy, Marcia comprehended the possibility and joy of sacrifice that made even sad things bright because of love. She saw like a flash how Kate could give up her gay life, her home, her friends, everything that life had heretofore held dear for her, that she might be by the side of the man who loved her so. But with this knowledge of David's love for Kate came a troubled doubt. Did Kate love David that way? If Kate had been the one who had received that kiss, would she have returned it with the same tenderness and warmth with which it was given? Marcia dared not try to answer this. It was Kate's question, not hers, and she must never let it enter her mind again. Of course, she must love him that way, or she would never marry him. The night crept slowly for the anxious little watcher at the gate. Had she been sure where to look for her sister, and not afraid of the tongues of a few interested neighbors, who had watched everything at the house for days that no item about the wedding should escape them, she would have started on a search at once. She knew if she just ran into old Miss Pemberton's, whose house stood out upon the street with two straight-backed little high white seats each side of the stoop, a most delightful post of observation, she could discover at once in which direction Kate had gone, and perhaps a good deal more of hints and suggestions besides but Marcia had no mind to make gossip. She must wait as patiently as she could for Kate. 
moreover kate might be walking even now in some secluded rose-lined lane arm in arm with the captain saying a pleasant farewell it was kate's way and no one might gainsay her marcia's dreams came back once more the thoughts that had been hers as she stood there an hour before she thought how the kiss had fitted into the dream then all at once conscience told her that it was kate's lover not her own whose arms had encircled her and now there was a strange unwillingness to go back to the dreams at all a lingering longing for the joys into whose glory she had been for a moment permitted to look she drew back from all thoughts and tried to close the door upon them they seemed too sacred to enter her maidenhood was but just begun and she had much yet to learn of life she was glad glad for kate that such wonderfulness was coming to her kate would be sweeter softer in her ways now she could not help it with a love like that enfolding her life at last there were footsteps hark two people only two just what marcia had expected the other girls and boys had dropped into other streets or gone home kate and her former lover were coming home alone and furthermore kate would not be glad to see her sister at the gate this last thought came with sudden conviction but marcia did not falter kate david has come marcia said it in low almost accusing tones at least so it sounded to kate before the two had hardly reached the gate they had been loitering long talking in low tones and the young captain's head was bent over his companion in an earnest pleading attitude marcia could not bear to look and did not wish to see more so she had spoken kate startled sprang away from her companion a white angry look in her face how you scared me marsh she exclaimed pettishly what if he has come that's nothing i guess he can wait a few minutes he had no business to come to-night anyway he knew we wouldn't be ready for him till to-morrow kate was recovering her self-possession in proportion as she realized the situation that she was vexed over her bridegroom's arrival neither of the two witnesses could doubt it stung her sister with a deep pity for david he was not getting as much in kate as he was giving but there was no time for such thoughts besides marcia was trembling from head to foot partly with her own daring partly with wrath at her sister's words for shame kate how can you talk so even in fun david came to surprise you and i think he had a right to expect to find you here so near to the time of your marriage there was a flash in the young eyes as she said it and a delicate lifting of her chin with the conviction of the truth she was speaking that gave her a new dignity even in the moonlight captain leavenworth looked at her in lazy admiration and said why marsh you're developing into quite a spitfire what have you got on to-night that makes you look so tall and handsome why didn't you stay in and talk to your fine gentleman i'm sure he would have been just as well satisfied with you as your sister marcia gave one withering glance at the young man and then turned her back full upon him he was not worth noticing besides he was to be pitied for he evidently cared still for kate but kate was fairly white with anger perhaps her own accusing conscience helped it on her voice was imperious and cold 
She drew herself up haughtily and pointed toward the house. Marcia Schuyler, she said coldly, facing her sister, go into the house and attend to your own affairs. You'll find that you'll get into serious trouble if you attempt to meddle with mine. You're nothing but a child yet, and ought to be punished for your impudence. Go, I tell you. She stamped her foot. I will come in when I get ready. Marcia went, not proudly as she might have gone the moment before, but covered with confusion and shame, her head drooping like some crushed lily on a bleeding stalk. Through her soul rushed indignation, mighty and forceful, indignation and shame for her sister, for David, for herself. She did not stop to analyze her various feelings, nor did she stop to speak further with those in the house. She fled to her own room, and burying her face in the pillow, she wept until she fell asleep. The moon shadows grew longer about the arbored gateway, where the two she had left stood talking in low tones, looking furtively now and then toward the house, and withdrawing into the covert of the bushes by the walk. But Kate dared not linger long. She could see her father's profile by the candlelight in the dining-room. She did not wish to receive further rebuke, and so in a very few minutes the two parted and Kate ran up to the box-edged path, beginning to hum a sweet old love-song in a gay light voice as she tripped by the dining-room windows and thus announced her arrival. She guessed that Marcia would have gone straight to her room and told nothing. Kate intended to be fully surprised. She paused in the hall to hang up the light shawl she had worn, calling good night to her stepmother and saying she was very tired and was going straight to bed to be ready for tomorrow. Then she ran lightly across the hall to the stairs. She knew they would call her back and that they would all come into the hall with David to see the effect of his surprise upon her. She had planned to a nicety just which stair she would reach before they got there, and where she would pause and turn and poise, and what pose she would take with her round white arm stretched to the handrail, the sleeve turned carelessly back. She had ready her countenances, a sleepy indifference, then a pleased surprise, and a climax of delight. She carried it all out, this little bit of impromptu acting, as well as though she had rehearsed it for a month. They called her, and she turned deliberately, one dainty slippered foot, with its crossed black ribbons about the slender ankle, just leaving the stair below, and showing the arch of the aristocratic instep. Her gown was blue, and she held it back just enough for the stiff white frill of her petticoat to peep below. Well, she read the admiration in the eyes below her. Admiration was Kate's life. She thrived upon it. She could not do without it. David stood still, his love in his eyes, looking upon the vision of his bride, and his heart swelled within him that so great a treasure should be his. Then straightway they all forgot to question where she had been, or to rebuke her that she had been at all. She had known they would. She ever possessed the power to make others forget her wrongdoings when it was worth her while to try. The next morning things were astir even earlier than usual. There was the sound of the beating of eggs, the stirring of cakes, the clatter of pots and pans from the wide, stone-flagged kitchen. Marcia, fresh as a flower from its morning dew, in spite of her cry the night before, had arisen to new opportunities for service. 
she was glad with the joyous forgetfulness of youth when she looked at david's happy face and she thought no more of kate's treatment of herself david followed kate with a true lover's eyes and was never for more than a few moments out of her sight though it seemed to marcia that kate did not try very hard to stay with him when afternoon came she dismissed him for what she called her beauty nap marcia was passing through the hall at the time and she caught the tender look upon his face as he touched her brow with reverent fingers and told her she had no need for that her eyes met kate's as they were going up the stairs and in spite of what kate had said the night before marcia could not refrain from saying oh kate how could you when he loves you so you know you never take a nap in the daytime you silly girl said kate pleasantly enough don't you know the less a man sees of one the more he thinks of her with this remark she closed and fastened her door after her marcia pondered these words of wisdom for some time wondering whether kate had really done it for that reason or whether she did not care for the company of her lover and why should it be so that a man loved you less because he saw you more in her straightforward code the more you loved persons the more you desired to be in their company kate had issued from her beauty nap with a feverish restlessness in her eyes an averted face and ink upon one finger at supper she scarcely spoke and when she did she laughed excitedly over little things her lover watched her with eyes of pride and with ever-increasing wonder over her beauty and marcia seeing the light in his face watched for its answer in her sister's and finding it not was troubled she watched them from her bedroom window as they walked down the path where she had gone the evening before decorously side by side kate holding her light muslin frock back from the dew on the hedges she wondered if it was because kate had more respect for david than for captain leavenworth that she never seemed to treat him with as much familiarity she did not take possession of him in the same sweet imperious way marcia had not lighted her candle the moon gave light enough and she was very weary so she undressed in the dim chamber and pondered upon the ways of the great world out there in the moonlight were those two who to-morrow would be one and here was she alone the world seemed all circling about that white chamber of hers and echoing with her own consciousness of self and a loneliness she had never felt before she wondered what it might be was it all sadness at parting with kate or was it the sadness over inevitable partings of all human relationships and the all-aloneness of every living spirit she stood for a moment white-robed beside her window looking up into the full round moon and wondering if god knew the ache of loneliness in his little human creatures souls that he had made and whether he had ready something wherewith to satisfy then her meek soul bowed before the faith that was in her and she knelt for her shy but reverent evening prayer she heard the two lovers come in early and go upstairs and she heard her father fastening up the doors and windows for the night then stillness gradually settled down and she fell asleep later in her dreams there echoed the sound of hastening hoofs far down the deserted street and over the old covered bridge but she took no notice of any sound and the weary household slept on
End of chapter 3